Amen. Thanks, Mel. Good morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see all of you. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here and would love to meet you in the lobby if we haven't met before. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that my sermon got cut about halfway through by a fire alarm. So we're going to try this again. And I was debating, do I just pick up where I left off? And then I realized, well, there's going to be some people here that probably weren't here last week. And so we're just going to start from the top. Does that sound good? And here's why. I was praying about this this week, just kind of feeling the weight of what we're going to be talking about this morning and what we were trying to talk about last week. You know we're in a, in a series called What is the Bible About? And this is part four, and we're in the Gospels. We're, we're getting to the central point, the central message of the Scripture. And it's really good news. And I just want to tell you the point from the very beginning, and that's this, that God wants to be with you. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what you've done, he wants to be with you. And unfortunately, just the way religion works in a broken world like this, we often like to take a message like that and twist it and turn it into, well, God wants to be with you if you measure up. God wants to be with you if you're one of the strong ones, disciplined ones, whatever it is. We like to turn religion into a competition. We like to turn it into there's strong ones and weak ones, and God likes the strong ones. And that is the message that the enemy wants the world to hear. He wants the world to hear that you may not be good enough for God. And so I, I feel a, like a weight on this. Um, you know, I'm just thinking like, okay, last week we got cut out by a fire alarm before we even got to the, to the good part. Um, this morning, like I wasn't supposed to preach this morning because my wife's out of town and we got a baby and all that. But I'm like, you know what? We're going to do this message, so we're going to jump in. Uh, you know, like two volunteers that were supposed to serve this morning are in the hospital right now. Some of the people on our team are sick. I'm just feeling like this kind of spiritual warfare on this message because the enemy doesn't want this to be heard. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. God, I'm just grateful that we get the opportunity to gather and read from your word. And Lord, we know that the enemy hates what we're going to talk about this morning because we're going to talk about your character We're going to talk about what you've done for us. And the enemy is always working to twist that truth into something completely different. And so, Lord, I just ask for your protection this morning. I pray for those in the hospital. We're grateful that they are okay, but we pray for those that you'd bring them back to health. Lord, we we pray for this morning that you would allow us, Lord, to, to freely look into your word and hear the good news of what Christ has done. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't believe it, anyone in this room who feels like this, there's no way this could be true, Lord, anyone in this room that's come to church or been a part of a church and has felt like, I don't belong, I'm not strong enough, 
I pray this morning, God, that you would minister the truth of the scripture. You would silence the enemy. People would come to truly know who you are. In Christ's name, amen. So, as I said, we're in a series called What is the Bible? It's just a six-part series, so it's super high-level flying through the scriptures, and this morning we're in part four, so we're coming to the Gospels. We're in the New Testament, and we started at the very beginning, and we we read about how God created us, and he created us to have a relationship with him where he cares for us, he provides for us, he gives us life and joy. Of course, there's boundaries because he knows what's best for us, and we trust him for all of that. But the reality is it didn't take long before we said to God, God, I, no, I don't trust your ways, your boundaries, your word, your motives. I can only trust in myself. And so this relationship with God was broken. And it brought brokenness and sin and death and heartache into this world. But we quickly learned, I mean, from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, Genesis 12, we studied these in previous sermons where God begins to show that he's going to make a way to reverse the fall. He's going to make a way for our relationship with God to be restored. It's not going to be through a law where as long as we have good behavior, he'll come and he'll restore our relationship. It's not through that. It's going to be through something different. And so as we read the Old Testament, we read the story of the nation of Israel. And God gives Israel his word, and he gives, him, gives them his promise that one day he's going to do something to restore this relationship. And he wants Israel to trust him, so he gives them his word. Do these things, because these things are what's best for you. And we just read how in the Old Testament our, our hearts are just broken, there's just something inside of us that, that can't trust God. We, we need God to do something, not only to restore that relationship, but to help us trust him again, because there's something broken inside of us. And so throughout the Old Testament, we get these prophecies, right, these, these uh, promises from God about what he's going to do. We, we started in Genesis 12, where God comes to this guy named Abraham, and he says, here's what I'm going to do, Abraham. I'm going to turn your descendants into this great nation. That becomes Israel. And, and out of Israel is going to come this one man. And, and through that, that one man, that's going to be how I'm going to restore this relationship. And Israel, it's not just going to be for you. It's going to be for all nations. It's going to be for, for everyone who would trust in this one man. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is, an, is another place we see this. King David is, is now king of Israel, and he's a good king, and he's after God's heart. And God comes to David and says, David, I'm going to make you a promise. Right? Out of your descendants, which is the same line as Abraham, out of your descendants is going to come this one man. And he's going to become king of Israel. But here's what's going to make him different, is he will be king forever. And he's going to be a good king, and that's going to be the king that's going to restore this relationship. God promises this to David. In countless other places in the Old Testament, God is giving us these promises about what he's going to do to make everything right again. I want to show you two more. Again, we looked at these last week, so hopefully this is good review for you if you're with us. Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 61. 
You want to understand the Gospels, all right? Those first four books of the Bible, of the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the four books that tell us about the life and the story of Jesus. If you want to understand those, you've got to read Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 61. Isaiah's a prophet, and he's telling Israel, this man that's going to come, this king that's going to be everlasting, here's what he's going to do. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 9 through 11. Isaiah says this, O Zion, that's, a, that's another word for God's kingdom or Jerusalem, God's people. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. He's going to be king. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arm. He's going to gather his people back together, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. If you notice there in verse 9, he says, O Zion, messenger of good news. Such an important word there, good news. We'll come back to it. But look at Isaiah 61. Here's another prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy, meaning the, the uh, prophet Isaiah is writing as if he is, the, uh, these are the words of the Messiah, the one to come. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. There's that word again, to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Both of these texts, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 61, talk about good news. And the good news is that this, this, this person's coming that God's been promising since the very beginning. And he's going to gather all of God's people together and he's going to be a good king over them. And he's going to begin to reverse the fall, right? The blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk, the prisoner's going to be set free. All the brokenness of this world's going to be healed through this king. That word good news in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word basar. And in Greek, the way that's translated in Greek when the Old Testament's translated over is euangelion. Euangelion. That's, that's the word for good news or that's the word for gospel. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the, the good news, the euangelion. And so what's the good news? We just read it. Isaiah 40, 61. A good king is coming who will rule over his people forever. He will gather them together, and he's going to bring a new creation. He's going to reverse the fall. He's going to bring us back to what God intended for all of us and restore that relationship. These are the promises given to Israel. Now, got to think about the history here. There's 400 years between the end of your Old Testament and the beginning of your new. 400 years between the last book in your Old Testament and when Jesus comes on the scene and begins his, or is born and then eventually begins his ministry. In those 400 years, a lot happens with Israel. 
right? So prior to the, the end of your Old Testament, you had Israel, they go into the promised land, they become a kingdom together, and you had some kings over Israel. You had uh, Saul, then you had David, then you had Solomon. But something happens after Solomon where they divide into two kingdoms. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, all right? And so both of them had individual kings. Most of them are bad. And God's warning his people through his prophets, if you don't follow my word, I'm going to remove you from the promised land. And so in, hold on, I wrote the date down. In 722 BC, the Assyrians come in, wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel and carry them away from the promised land. Now the southern kingdom of Judah was still left. They had a few good kings, not all bad kings. Israel, all bad kings. Southern kingdom of Judah had a few good ones. But eventually, God said the same thing to them. If you don't follow my word, I'm going to remove you from the promised land. And so eventually, 586 B.C. is when the Babylonians came in under King Nebuchadnezzar, destroys Jerusalem, carries them off into exile. So part of your Old Testament is Israel in the promised land, and part of your Old Testament is Israel in Babylon in exile. Now, this history keeps going. Eventually, um, the Persians come in, right? And they wipe out the Babylonians and they take over the whole region. And they actually allow some people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but they're under occupation, under the Persians. So that's Ezra, Nehemiah in your Old Testament, okay? So they rebuild the temple. They start to live in Jerusalem again, but they're under Persian rule. Well, eventually the Persians get wiped out by the Greeks, Alexander the Great. They come in. Now we're between your testaments. And eventually they get wiped out by the Romans. And so the Romans come in. And so by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, the beginning of your New Testament, they're under Roman rule. They're in Jerusalem. They're in that area of the world. But they're under the occupation of another empire. So you have to understand, think of being in the imagination of the people of Israel during this time. And they're holding on to these promises where God says, I'm going to bring, bring a new king. And this new king is going to gather all of his people. And this new king is going to rule with power. And this new king is going to reverse the fall. He's going to bring about a new creation. Like if you're in Israel, especially during the intertestamental period between the two testaments, you're looking at those promises, and what's part of your imagination? Oh, we've got a king who's going to come, and he's going to kick Rome out, right? We've got a king who's coming, and he's going to reestablish us as a nation. We've got a king that's coming, and he is going to build the kingdom of Israel. So the Gospels begin. Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you go to Matthew 1... First thing you're going to read is a genealogy. It's going to help connect. What it's going to do is be like, you got Abraham, and the, the son of Abraham was this, and there's this, and the son of Abraham was this, and it just goes on and on. And if you read it, you're like, this seems boring. But what's Matthew doing? Matthew connects with a genealogy, Abraham to David, and David to Jesus. And what Matthew's doing immediately is he's saying, you know that promise? In Genesis chapter 3, you know that promise in Genesis chapter 12? You know that promise in 1 Samuel chapter 7? Jesus, this man, Jesus, 
He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He is the one that's coming out of Israel. He is the one that's going to be the king. He's the one that's going to fulfill all of these promises. This is the one. So in our Gospels, when we begin to read the Gospels, at the very beginning, when Jesus starts his ministry, the writers connect Jesus to these promises in Isaiah. All right, look at Mark chapter 4, verse 23. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is when Jesus starts his ministry. I'm going to read it off the screen. It says this, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, kind of northern part of Israel, Israel, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the euangelion of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew wants you to see Jesus is the one that's going to fulfill Isaiah 40, Isaiah 61, and other texts. Go to, go to Mark, because we have four gospel accounts. Go to Mark, Mark 1. Now, after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news, the euangelion of God, and saying the time is fulfilled. I'm, I'm fulfilling these prophecies, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the euangelion, the, the gospel, the good news. We could go to Luke I'm not going to put it on the screen, but Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 61 that we just read. and says, yep, yeah, that's me. We're going to read that in a little bit. He's saying, this is me. I'm the fulfillment of all of these things. The gospel writers start their accounts of Jesus with you connecting you and saying, hey, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. He's the Messiah. But when you read the Gospels, you don't get very far until you realize there's a big problem. Something's not going right. Jesus is the fulfillment of all this. Why isn't he doing what he's supposed to be doing? I want to show you two texts. All right, a little plot twist is about to happen. Look at Matthew chapter 11. I've always been fascinated by this one. Matthew chapter 11 speaks of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was a prophet that comes just before Jesus to announce his arrival. If you read the beginning of the Gospels. And John the Baptist eventually gets arrested and is put in prison. So let's do, John, uh, let's do Matthew 11, 2 to 6. So now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is the guy who had already announced the arrival of Jesus and saying to everyone, That's the one to come. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. As Jesus is walking out of the Jordan, God the Father booms from the sky, this is my son. I mean, he, he's there. He witnesses it. He hears it. And he's now in prison sending his disciples over to Jesus to go, are you the guy? Was I right? What's going on with John? Keep reading. 
And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news. The euangelion preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's weird. I mean, Jesus is saying, look around. Look at the works that I'm doing. I'm fulfilling Isaiah 40. I'm fulfilling Isaiah 61. Yes, I'm the one to come. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Why does Jesus say that? Why is John the Baptist questioning if Jesus is the one? Why might some be offended by what Jesus is doing? Let's investigate a little more. Go over to Luke chapter 4. We haven't read from Luke yet. I want to make sure we read a little bit from all four Gospels. Luke chapter 4. Let's start in verse 16. Maybe we'll find out why people might be offended by Jesus. Okay. And he came to Nazareth, so that's Jesus' hometown. He was born in Bethlehem, but his, his, uh, uh, his hometown is Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the euangelion, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This guy just read that Isaiah 61 prophecy in a way we have not heard before. And Jesus began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the guy. Lost my place. There it is, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son who like grew up down the street? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Now, okay, something's about to happen in this text because Jesus just said, I'm the guy that you've been waiting on. They're all marveling at him. And Jesus is about to say some things. And that marvel is about to turn into offended. Verse 24, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah, who's a, who's a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon, a Gentile, a, a non-Jew, to a woman who was a widow. Okay, verse 27, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, another prophet, Old Testament reference here, right? And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, the, the Gentile, the non-Jew. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Okay. We went from marveling to trying to murder him. What happened? What's going on? You have this guy. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's doing the works of the Messiah. He's healing people. They're seeing miracles performed. They're seeing Isaiah 61, Isaiah 40 fulfilled in their eyes. But Jesus makes this note to them from the Old Testament. He's just quoting scripture. He's not interpreting anything right now. He's just saying, hey, during these two times, God sent his prophets, not to Jews, but to Gentiles. And Jesus is making an illusion that as the one who's to come, as the one to fulfill all these promises, I am being sent to all. Here was what was going on with Jesus during his ministry. Jesus was ministering to people that the Jews excluded. Jesus was ministering to people that the Jews were uncomfortable with, or the Pharisees were uncomfortable with, the religious leaders at least. Jesus was ministering to Gentiles, non-Jews. Jesus was ministering to Jews. Jesus was ministering to the sick, to the lame, to the poor, to those in prison, to everyone. And that was not what Israel expected. It's not what John the Baptist expected. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, Jesus, you're supposed to be the powerful king that's going to rule. You're supposed to gather all of the Jews together, all of your people together. You're, you're supposed to reverse, like, what's, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to throw Rome out. Jesus is not doing what they expected him to do. Jesus is not focused on becoming the king of Israel. Je Jesus seems to be spending his time with the people whom the Jews have excluded from their kingdom from the blessing of God. So here's a big deal. You need to see this this morning. Jesus has not come to build the kingdom of Israel. Jesus came to build the kingdom of God, of which Israel gets to go first. But remember Genesis chapter 12, verse three. In you, Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a great nation, Abraham, and in you, all the families of the earth, all the nations will be blessed. From the very beginning, it's not about a kingdom of Israel. Kingdom of Israel is a, is a conduit. It's a people that God chose to use to bring the blessing of God to all. And at this point in Israel's history, they had forgotten that. And you can't blame them. They had been through a lot over the last five centuries. But here's what we need to know. The gospel is Jesus has come to bring about a new creation, reverse the fall, and restore our relationship with God. And the key is this, that the gospel is open to everyone and no one will be excluded if they put their trust in Jesus. See, the way that Jesus would restore our relationship with God is he, is he comes he fulfills these promises, right? He gives us this taste of the kingdom of God. He begins to heal and he begins to do things that show that he has the power to reverse the fall. 
But the most important thing that Jesus needed to do was defeat death. And so Jesus goes to the cross, and he takes our sin with it. And he tells us, if you would trust in me, then my death on the cross will pay for your sin. And he goes into the grave, and he's raised again three days later, defeating death. Right? It's the pathway into the new creation, a place where death does not exist anymore. And he invites us along, and he says, any who would trust in me, Jew, Gentile, Male, female, slave, free, doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you would trust in me, if you would follow me, I will take you to this new creation. Death will not have hold on you. You get to have resurrection life if you would follow me. And it's open to all who would trust in him. And John chapter 1 tells us this. That's the only gospel we haven't read yet. You go to John chapter 1. This is how John opens his gospel. Look at verses 12 and 13. John says, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who trust in him, who, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, relationship restored, who were born not of blood. You don't get that by being born a Jew, you don't get that by being born into a great family. Not of blood, nor, nor of the will of the flesh. You don't get that by following the law because you have a strong will and you're consistent and you're disciplined. You don't get that through that. Nor of the will of man, but born of God. God did this for you. And if you would trust in Christ, you would be given new life, reborn in this new creation. God said it in Genesis 3. He said it in Genesis 12, he promised it in 2 Samuel 7, and many other texts in our Old Testament that this blessing of God, this restoration of the relationship, this new creation, right, the gospel, the the euangelion, would flow through this man, Jesus. See, the gospel is radically exclusive, exclusive, because to receive the blessing you have to trust in Christ. He's the one that brings it. All of the Bible points to him. But the gospel is also radically inclusive in that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what your past is. If you trust in Christ, the kingdom of God, this new creation, is for you. The kingdom of God is for you and your neighbor. And that's what I want you to see this morning. That's the message that the enemy does not want anyone to hear. The enemy wants some of you to hear this morning that the kingdom of God is not for you. But the message of the gospels The reason why Jesus got in trouble so much with the religious leaders of the day is because the true gospel is the kingdom of God is for you and your neighbor if you would trust in Christ. Now, there's a challenge in there for all of us. Because I think and I believe that some of us don't really believe the kingdom of God is for you. You think, man, there's there's some things in my life or part of my life that have excluded me from the kingdom of God. And I can't have this kind of 
relationship with God that you describe of. So this might be a challenge for you this morning to see what the gospels are really saying to you. It also might be a challenge for you this morning believing that the kingdom of God is for your neighbor. That there are people in your life that you might think, yeah, nope, that guy, that lady, there's no way she would make it. But even that phrase, make it, bad theology. No one makes it to the kingdom of God. We have a good king who comes and gathers his sheep into his arms and brings them in. And if we would read the gospels faithfully, we would see as clear as day this truth. The kingdom of God really is for everyone. Like the kingdom of God, it's for those that our culture has shamed. It's for those that we have said, you, you, what you've done or what you've said or what you believe It's so shameful, you can't be a part of us anymore. Just go to John chapter four, where Jesus confronts a Samaritan woman who's an ethnic enemy of Israel. And all of Jesus' disciples are going, whoa, Jesus, why are you talking to her? And this is a woman, because of her past, has been shamed by her community. She's not allowed to be around anyone, and Jesus goes straight to her and ministers the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is for those who've been shamed by their communities. How many churches, and we're not above this, how many churches become communities that shame people away so you can't be a part of us because of what you've done or what you've said or what you believe? The kingdom of God is for those who have sinned sexually. And I wanted to bring that one out specifically because there's another topic that the church has been really successful in saying, yep, if you want to be strong, if you want to be included, if you want to be good enough for this relationship with God, then you better make sure you stay the course sexually. And if you mess up there, that's different than everything else. I'm telling you as a pastor, I minister to people all the time. who believe that God, is hate, who, that God hates them because of what they've done sexually. And I just think of Luke chapter seven when Jesus is at a Pharisee's house having dinner and a prostitute walks in and begins to worship him. And all the Pharisees are going, get this woman out of here. And Jesus says, this woman knows more about the kingdom of God than you. Jesus offended people with this message. The kingdom of God is for those who've sinned with money and with greed. Like if you live the life of just wanting to accumulate as much money as possible and not in care of others, God wants to lead you to a much more fuller life than that because that's gonna bring you nothing but brokenness. But the kingdom of God is still for you. I think of Zacchaeus. If we go to Luke chapter 19, a tax collector, and Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and says, tonight I'm having dinner with you and he ministers the kingdom of God to him because he's not ashamed of even those people. The kingdom of God is for inauthentic religious teachers who teach to profit. Think of Nicodemus in John chapter three, a ruler of the Pharisees, very wealthy. 
but he was curious. And Jesus loved him, taught him about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for those who are consumed, obsessed, afraid, panicking over politics. Oh, there's so many preachers and people online today who want to scare you when it comes to politics, if this happens, if that happens. I think of Peter, who was just like that. I think of Matthew chapter 16, when Peter goes to Jesus and rebukes Jesus because Jesus wasn't doing the thing that Peter thought the Messiah should do based off his reading on the Old Testament. Jesus ministers to his soul. I think of Simon the Zealot. Here, this is crazy. Jesus puts Simon the Zealot, who's with a, uh, uh, an extreme political party, and he makes him in the same team, the same 12 disciples, with Matthew, who's a tax collector. They could not be more ideologically opposed. And Jesus says, both of you are going to follow me. I'm going to minister the kingdom of God to you. Oh, man, do we have something to learn from Jesus. The kingdom of God is for the forgotten and insignificant person. If you're in here and you're just feeling like, man, I'm just blah. (laughs) Nothing special about me. No one notices me. No one asks me to do anything. I'm lonely. Think of Luke chapter 8 this woman who was suffering from a bleeding disorder, so she was unclean and kind of removed from society, comes up and just touches Jesus' garment and she's healed and Jesus notices her and ministers the kingdom of God to her. Or the woman who walks into the synagogue in Luke chapter 13, who's been suffering from a disorder for over 13 years and the synagogue ruler is just annoyed at her presence and Jesus sees her and notices her and heals her and ministers the kingdom of God because he notices you. The kingdom of God is for you. Check this one out. The kingdom of God is for the foreigner that practices a completely different religion. Think of Matthew chapter 15 when the Canaanite woman, a pagan, comes to Jesus. He ministers the kingdom of God to her. Doesn't ridicule her. kingdom of God is for the sick and the disabled and the unhygienic. Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes to a leper who's been shunned from society, highly contagious, probably smelled unhygienic. And I love Mark chapter 1, where it's just so clear, like the writer Mark is being so clear to tell us that Jesus first touches him and then heals him he's not grossed out. I got one more. The kingdom of God is for the incoherent, the mentally stricken, the demon possessed. Like Luke chapter 8, Jesus confronts the man that has a legion of demons in him. Everyone's scared with him. He's chained up in a cave. He ministers the kingdom of God to him. Or just think about the blind man in Luke 18 who's sitting at the side of the road and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone around him is shushing him. Shh, 
You're being loud. You're being obnoxious. Jesus says, bring him to me. The kingdom of God is for you and your neighbor. And whatever reason this morning you might think, no, the kingdom of God is not for me. The message of the gospels is, you're wrong. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your life has become. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to lead you to a new creation. Do you trust him with that? Do you trust that Jesus wants that with you? It's the same for our neighbors. How many neighbors do we have? Coworkers, people that live near us, family members. And we just think, man, I just don't think there's any way the kingdom of God would be for them. I think of one of my good friends who, when he was in college, didn't know Christ, you know, didn't go to church, didn't believe in anything really, and, but he, was, he had these roommates that were Christians, and they led a campus ministry, and every week they had these worship services. And eventually this guy, months later, actually came to know Christ through the ministry of another person. They shared the gospel with him, and he came to trust in Christ. And then he goes to his friends. He goes, hey, how come you never invited me to one of your ministry things? And they go, man, we thought you'd be the last person who would want to go. While the whole time, he was just drowning in depression, trying to figure out what life was all about. How many of our neighbors have we said, oh, they'd be the last not even worth our time. The kingdom of God is for them. So I just want to end our time this morning, and I just want to pray. And the first thing I want to do is if you feel unwelcome in the kingdom of God, if you feel like, no, the kingdom of God is not for me, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now that you would open your heart to Christ, and you would open your heart to his ministry to you, that you would trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would trust in him, that he will lead you to new life and creation. That you would surrender to him this morning. Whatever excuse might pop into your head, no, I can't do it because this, that, whatever. That's nothing that Christ can't overcome. That is literally the message of the Gospels. But I also want to pray for our neighbors. If you're someone in here and you're like, man, I, I have a cold heart towards a neighbor, and I don't want the kingdom of God for them. I just want to pray that God would, would heal that bitterness in our heart and give us a heart to minister the kingdom of God to that person because it's for them. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone in this room this morning who just cannot come to the place of believing that the kingdom of God is for them, that you are for them, that you want a relationship with them. God, I just pray that you would heal them right now, that you would release them right now. That if there's ever been an experience that they've had, maybe at a church or someone else, who's made them feel excluded, who's made them feel like they are not good enough for the kingdom, Lord, I pray that you would just erase that. And that the true message of the, of the gospels, of the scripture, would, would come to bear on their life. And they would surrender and give their lives to you right now. Because you are trustworthy. 
Nothing else in this world is going to bring us life and joy and peace like our creator. And I pray right now that they would believe that you want to be with them. Help them to trust in Christ. And if that's you this morning, all, all it takes is trust in your heart just to say, Christ, I, yes, I trust you. I trust that you made the way for me. Lord, we also want to repent this morning of the people that we have cold hearts towards and might think, man, the kingdom of God is not for them. We can be just like the Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels. We aren't above them. Lord, I just pray, whoever that person is, if, if that person exists in our lives or persons, Lord, I, I, I pray you would bring them to mind and you would soften our hearts and give us a vision for ministering this good news to them. God, we pray, we want to be a church that ministers the good news of Christ to our town. Help us to do that faithfully. In Christ's name, amen.